Good day all. Welcome to my podcast. I'm Apostle Thompson from Benin Republic, a prophetic apostle on an eternal gospel mission. This is part 16 of the broad topic, understanding the new world order. Today, we are going to consider a topic I sort of titled The Beginning of Sorrows and the Rapture. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, thank you for shedding light upon your word as it goes forth. Thank you for blessing every listener. Thank you for transforming lives. Thank you for putting the devil to shame. Thank you for healing, for deliverance. Thank you for rededication. Thank you for revival. Thank you for destroying the works of the devil. Thank you for healing. We give you praise, O oh Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, judging therefore from all that we have discussed, from uh, part one to part 15. The next big event that the world and believers should be should be expecting is the rapture, rather than a revival as many in Christendom have been erroneously led to believe. But before the rapture actually occurs, two things will be prevalent on earth, according to scriptures. First, Apostle Paul told us in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4, explicitly that, let nobody deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and that the man of sin is revealed, who is the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, because Paul used the term, the temple of God, many have taken the above verse out of context to teach that the man of sin, whom Paul is referring to, is the abomination of the desolation of Daniel's vision. This is not true. To start with, Paul said, this man of sin we see it as God. Katizo is the Greek word that is translated sit in this verse. And it means to sit down or to set up figuratively. Figuratively rather than literally. I've already shown in the previous chapter, I mean, audios, that the Romanized Christian church and as soon to be unfolded spokesman or pope is the first prophet written about in the book of Revelation. You can read my book, Apocalypse, Biblical Intermatrix, for detailed scriptural and historical evidences of this. But for the purpose of this topic now, here, 
Note that in the vision by Apostle John in Revelation 13, the sea beast, that is the beast that came from the sea, or the Romanized Christian church that was empowered by that dragon, is the one that was dealt a mortal blow from which it recovered. And verse 10 told us, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity itself. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the fate of the saints. Now, the second beast from the land, the one who rose from the land, which has already been identified as the United States of America and its Western civilization that is leading right now, is a continuation of the old Roman Empire whom Papa Rome succeeded into. This one is the one whose ideology and culture will give life to the image of the first beast and cause the whole earth to either subscribe to it or perish if you don't. So the man of sin whom Paul is referring to is the one that will one day come and proclaim himself as God on earth. Paul, by the spirit of prophecy and by the tongue of the spirit, was predicting the institution of the pontiff or the spokesman for the Catholic religion, which has since been literally fulfilled in the time when the popes were actually treated as God on earth. And it is being fulfilled in our own days now as the image of the Antichrist introduced to the world by the medieval Roman Catholic Church is now being systematically programmed into the art of mankind today. So the question is this, which temple was Paul referring to? Is this a future restored temple in Jerusalem as some biblical scholars have alluded to? And some very serious Christians are even already donating money to build in Jerusalem? Definitely not. That will contradict all of his other teachings because Paul had been abundantly clear that true believers are now the body of Christ. So our body is now the temple of God's spirit sent from God by Jesus Christ to live in us. You can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Ephesians 2, verses 9 to 19 to 22, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 17, and 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20. Paul was therefore referring to the human body or mind in which the man of sin, by the power of the devil, we assume the place of God within, in order to consequently be worshipped as God by man. Mankind is the temple that God himself built whom he intended to inhabit in Genesis, but we lost his presence after the fall at Eden. The reason Jesus told us that we become slaves to whomsoever we obey was to show us that sin gives the devil authority to indwell in us. In Hebrews 8 verse 1, Paul said, now this is the main point of the things we have been saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, with the Lord himself erected, and not man. Are you getting that? Both Moses' tabernacle 
and King Solomon's temple were shadows of the heavenly copy, which was why they were to be built according to the pattern shown to Moses and David respectively. Even the restored temple of Jesus Christ's era in Jerusalem built by Nehemiah and renovated by Herod the Great was according to the pattern shown to Ezekiel in his visions. Okay? In earlier in Hebrews 7, from verses 11 to 12 and then verses 18, Paul had argued that therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, under which the law was supreme, there would not have been the need for another priest according to the order of Melchizedek, not called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is a change of law. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weaknesses and unprofitability. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So when Jesus died, his blood was shed on the heavenly temple to establish the new covenant and to activate the heavenly temple, which could not have become active on earth until his blood was physically shed. That was why he told Mary Magdalene, I must first go to your father, I mean to my father, who is now your also father. Remember that under the old covenant, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year on a day of atonement to throw the blood of sacrificial goat onto the mercy seat. The verse 16, verse 15. Jesus did the same when he resurrected. He threw his blood on the mercy seat in the heavenly sanctuary to activate it. Hence, Paul revealed that we now have boldness to approach God in the time of need, expecting mercy because the atonement has been acceptable. The earthly priesthood is done with. Jesus is now our high priest, enthroned at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Now, if the old covenant of animal blood and human priesthood is done away with by the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, why would there be a need for another human temple to be built again by the Jews? Please think. This was the whole purpose of Jesus' response to the woman at the well of Samaria that although salvation is of the Jews, yet God is a spirit and is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, rather than the perpetual struggle between Samaritans who believe in the equal sanctity of the high places in Israel, and the Jews who stuck to the sanctity of the temple alone in Jerusalem being the sanctified place to worship God. Mankind and the Jews, for that matter, no longer needs a human high priest who must first daily atone for his own sins before doing the same for others because Jesus was a fitting high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens after he had once for all time offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses, but the word of oath which came after the law upon Jesus Christ, the Son, who has been perfected for life. I just paraphrased Hebrews 7, 20 to 28 for you there, <laughs> okay? Now, throughout chapter 9 of Hebrews, Paul was using the Old Testament to point out to them why the physical temple can no longer be rebuilt. This is why they ate Paul 
That is why everywhere Paul goes, the Jews always tear up argument against him, persecution against him, and try several times to kill him. Because Paul was teaching that there was no need again for temple sacrifices. Are you getting the point now? Just as the just as they crucified Jesus Christ for telling that that he was going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three in three days, he was actually replying to his body. Yet they thought he was talking about that Jerusalem temple, and they crucified him for that. The same way they continued to oppose Paul in his ministration because he was revealing that look. Yes, while it is true that Jesus was referring to his to his body not the temple, literally, but figuratively, it, Jesus was saying the same thing. Because Jesus was also saying that, look, once I resurrect, this temple is no longer needed for sacrifices again. Are you getting now? So he contrasted the earthly temple and the minister of Aaronic priesthood from verses 1 to 10 with the heavenly sanctuary and priesthood of Jesus Christ from verses 11 to 15. He further emphasized in verse 12 that not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, Jesus entered the most holy place in heaven once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Paul had earlier confirmed this in Hebrews 1, verses 5 to 7, when he quoted David in the Psalms. David said, when Jesus came into this world, he said, sacrifices and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In bond offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Hear that again. God has no pleasure in sacrifices and bond offerings. So I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So the will of God, as revealed in all the prophecies concerning the Messiah, was to put an end to the temple priesthood and sacrifices by his own self sacrificial death lastly remember that jesus christ had accused the pharisees when he entered the physical temple for the last time of turning my father's house into a den of thieves so when he sent the holy spirit from his father here it is he did not send the holy spirit to the physical temple but rather he sent the holy spirit to the upper room where the disciples were gathered to underscore the fact that that temple that physical temple was no longer relevant a true believer is now a priest unto god to demonstrate his glory to an unbelieving world true believers are not bound to a temple again because the holy spirit is in us and he makes us to worship god in truth and in spirit without legalism and rituals that was the fulfillment of first chronicles 17 verses 11 to 12 when god told david it shall be when your days are fulfilled when you must go to be with your father that i will set up your seed he didn't say seeds say your seed after you who will be one of your sons and i will establish his throne forever be noting those emphasis i will be his father and he will be my son and i will not take away my mercy from him as i took it from him who was before you and i will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever 
and his throne shall be established forever. Now, we all know that Solomon was the one who succeeded unto the kingship after David. But we knew as well from history that Solomon's throne and kingdom perished when Babylon took Judah captive. And that the current nation of Israel is neither governed exclusively by the tribe of Judah, nor by the descendants of David, because prophet Jeremiah brought an end to the rule of David's dynasty over Judah and Israel forever in Jeremiah 30, verses 28 to 30. When he said from verse 29 to the reigning king, the son of uh, uh, the grandson or great 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 grandson of David, then he said, Write this down. According to this man, he will die childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none, hear this, none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So by that prophetic declaration, Jeremiah put an end to the lineage of David occupying the royal throne in over Israel, setting up setting up the scenery for the church to be unveiled that was why when jesus would come he came to a descendant of david who to a descendant of david joseph who did not even know that he was a king are you getting it he didn't know that he was a royal brother by then nobody think of them as royals again so he was just a, a carpenter are you getting this so while speaking with David in First Chronicles quotation above, God was not talking of the physical throne or the kingdom of Israel. God was talking about his own heavenly kingdom that will be established by his own only begotten son, who will be associated with the earthly family of David. This was confirmed to Daniel in chapter 7, verse 27. When he said, dominion and kingdoms and greatness of kingdoms under the old heaven are given to Jesus Christ and the saints. Though Daniel did not understand the mystery of the church then too. The mystery of the church was only revealed in the New Testament. It wasn't revealed to the prophets. So when they prophesied, they prophesied only in the context of Israel. So they didn't themselves understand the full meaning of what they were prophesying. That is why... The Pharisees could not understand the scripture and they had to crucify Christ. So also so that the, the, the scriptures or the prophecies could be fulfilled. Even the disciples did not understand this until they too had received the Holy Spirit. You will notice that after the baptism in the Holy Spirit, no disciple or apostle ever spoke about restoration of the physical kingdom to Israel again. Go and read your Bible very well. After they received the Holy Spirit, none of them asked for the physical restoration of the kingdom of Israel again. But then they now understood. Neither were they encouraging believers to go to the temple. Instead, they were speaking only of the kingdom of God. Only of the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of Israel again. So it takes the Holy Spirit to understand that God is no longer concerned about a biological descendant of David sitting as king on a restored earthly kingdom or biological history. No, the focus now is on the establishment of spiritual kingdom of God made up of both believing Gentiles and Israelites who have accepted the new covenant. God's sanctuary in heaven cannot be trampled by any human being or the devil. 
Are you getting it? It's not possible. Only the human sanctuary on earth could be trampled upon. So, Daniel 8, verses 13 to 14, was actually saying that the counterfeit religion that has stolen and hijacked the daily priestly office of Jesus Christ and the defilement of the earthly sanctuary will go on for 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then it will be cleansed. You can read my book, Apocalypse. Public Inter Matrix for further and detailed explanation of that prophecies of, of, of Daniel. The sanctuary, as we have seen, is the body of Christ, which is being cleansed even as we speak right now. To clean means separate dirt from something. Jesus is coming back. Here it is for a clean, spotless bride. This is why the doctrine of sanctification apart from salvation is so important. Very, very important to Christianity. Ephesians 4 said the work of the fivefold ministry is to grow the body into full maturity in Christ. There's an ongoing separation of sheep from goats right now in the body of Christ because the devil is forever trying to pollute the body of Christ. Hence, Daniel 9, verse 27 ends with and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes the desolate even until the consummation which is determined and is poured out on the desolate note that gabriel neither personified the abomination nor liberated it to one abomination being placed in a temple as is being popularly taught to people today go and read it very well he was, Gabriel was very, very plural, and I said the abominations, on the wings of abominations, plural, will now come one who makes desolate until consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Okay? So, rather, Gabriel predicted a series of abominations, and then one person who makes desolate. Meaning that at the close of the end of Gentile rule, abominable acts will have become so normal, so acceptable to mankind, that the man of sin, whom Daniel described as the one who makes desolate, would emerge. And he will be popular. They will popularly elect him and accept him. And it is this Antichrist, empowered by the devil, that will cause the consuming wrath of God to be poured out on everything that has been made desolate. Are you getting it? Do you now understand why things that God expressly forbid in the Old Testament as abominations are now being promoted as normal in our world today? I mean, people tattoo now, even pastors wear tattoo. Homosexuality abound. You are pastor who are homosexuals and lesbians. Same-sex marriage abounds. There is bestiality, there is pornography, there is incense, there is drug addiction, there is cross-dressing, there is hybrid crops and animals, prostitution, astrology, astronomy, occult practices, new age ideology, medium channeling, witchcraft, alcoholism, unclean food, pride, hypocrisy, disrespect for elders and parents, rebellion against godly authorities, spiritism, which is now called new age religion, self-centeredness, which is now called freedom of expression, polytheism, idolatry, which is now fashionable tag as climate activism, and mother at veneration, but it is actually fertility demon worship, 
all these things are abominations that brings desolation. Therefore, Paul rightly condemned them in his epistles, warning that those who practice them will rot in hell. Galatians 5, verses 19-21. But somebody might ask that, well, did Jesus not confirm a physical abomination being placed in a physical temple in Matthew 24, verse 15? When he said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. My answer is no. Jesus didn't confirm a physical abomination standing in a physical temple. Which was why Matthew added in brackets in that same quotation. Whoever reads it, let him understand. In other words, this saying of Jesus Christ here is to be understood by revelation rather than by logic. The same story was recounted in Luke 21, and both authors agreed that the statement came in the context of his response to the question of when the temple would be destroyed rather than, I mean, when would the temple be destroyed after he had reacted to the barely conceived admiration that consumed his disciples when they were looking at the majestic beauty of the temple. Then he said, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So it was in response to their question, when will this beautiful edifice be destroyed? that Jesus Christ made the above quotation when you see the abomination of the desolation spoken about by prophet Daniel. So they consequently asked him two questions. Teacher, when will these things be? And what signs will there be when these things are about to take place? To mention, or the mention of abomination of desolation was made in context of answering the second question, that is the one of the signs to show that Jesus Christ will return in the future. First, there would be many false prophets. That is his answer. Many shall be deceived, rumors of war, instability, famine, pestilence, earthquake, tribulation, betrayers, persecution of true Christians, earthquake, tribulation, also lawlessness, indifference, and also there will be great evangelism. Please note here, okay, that Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Therefore, the message here is to the Jews rather than to the Gentiles. I want you to get this very clear. So it has to do with the temple, not with the end of the world. Get this very well. It has to do with the temple, not with the end of the world. So this is not referring to end time. This is referring to the Jews and the time that that temple will be destroyed. This is why we interpret scripture with scripture. Reading the gospel of matthew alone might make one to conclude that jesus christ was speaking about the end of the gentile world system but when you read the same account in luke you understand that jesus was speaking about the end of the israel nation as organized in the bible so luke 21 verses 20 to 24 now tells us but when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies they know that its desolation is nearby are you getting it now then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let and, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. 
for there will be great distress in the land and rot upon these people and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive to into nations and jerusalem will be trampled by gentiles until the times of the gentiles are fulfilled are you getting it now so he was talking about the jews and not the gentiles he was talking about when israel as a nation will stop being israel as a religious nation as it used to be in badlika times and will be trampled upon by the gentiles until now the time of the gentiles will be over so at the time of jesus christ this had not taken place but then in ad 66 the first part of jesus prediction came to reality when he said but when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies begin he came to reality because when the jews of judea began to revolt against the ash roman tax under gaius celtius gallus a roman legate of syria who had jurisdiction over judea samaria and idomia which had been under and been united by august augustus caesar in 680 in an attempt to restore order gaius had invaded beth Aaron with a force of about 30,000 roman soldiers on september 66 AD supported by 14,000 allied forces led by pro-Roman Agrippa II and his sister, Berenice, who had fled the city of Galilee. So though Gaius' army was able to reach Manscupus and they entered the outer city, they could not capture the Temple Mount of Jerusalem and had to retreat to the coast after an unsuccessful six-month siege. Now, a Judean rebel group under Shimon Bar Jiora, then mounted a successful guerrilla warfare on the retreating Roman contingent, pursuing them as far as Antipatris through Ben Oron, killing about 5,300 Roman infantrymen and 380 cavalrymen. All these things are historical documented. Meanwhile, the incident that we read about in the book of Acts that believers were selling their properties and depositing the proceeds to the feet of the apostles was also taking place around this time frame are you getting it now the reason why they were selling their properties was because the apostles were preparing to vacate the city of jerusalem because of the coming war with rome it wasn't because they thought that the world was coming to an end and they want to run no they were about to vacate jerusalem that time because they know that war with Rome was inevitable because of what had just happened at Bethlehem. Are you getting it now? The believers at that time knew that what Jesus had said about desolation of Jerusalem was about to be fulfilled. So they obeyed Luke 21 verse 21 that then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart and let those who are in the country enter. Not enter her. I mean, in his work on church history, the first century writer, Esubios, who is the bishop of Caesarea, actually wrote that the people of the church in Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by revelation before the war to those in the city who were worthy of it to depart and dwell in one of the cities of Perea, which they called Pella. To it, those who believe on Christ traveled from Jerusalem so that when 
holy men had altogether deserted the royal city of the Jews and the woodland of Judea. Did you see that now? They, they, they actually left. Believers left. So that was the money they were collecting. That was what they used the money to do, to go and prepare a place for themselves at Pella so that they will locate there because of the war that is coming with the Jews. Another historical writer, Epiphanius of Salamis, in the 14th century, 14th century writer, also recorded in his own work, titled On Ways and Measures, that so Aquila, while he was in Jerusalem, this is Aquila that uh, Paul uh, uh, I mean, showed the way of the of the Holy Spirit. That's the same Aquila. So he says, so Aquila, while he was in Jerusalem, also saw the disciples of the apostles flourishing in faith and walking great signs, healings, and other miracles. For they were such as had come back. Are you hearing? Come back from the city of Pella to Jerusalem and were living there and teaching. For when the city was about to be taken and destroyed by the Romans, it was revealed in advance to all the disciples by an angel of God that they should remove from the city as it was going to be completely destroyed. So they sojourned as emigrants to Pella, the city above mentioned in Transjordania. And this city is said to be of the Decapolis. You see that? This is another confirmation, historical confirmation, that the disciples actually left before the war with Roman. So the disciples were not involved. It was only the fanatical Jews who were involved with fighting Rome, and they lost because Titus raised down the place completely. So the second part of Jesus' prediction, then know that its destination is nearby, was a direct response of Romans to the defeat that they suffered at Ben Oran. Emperor Nero then appointed Vespasian in AD 67 to quell the rebellion with the 5th and 10th legion of the Roman army. This was joined later by the 15th legion under the command of Vespasian's son, Titus, to put the strength of the invading Roman army at about 60,000 expert soldiers now. Because, I mean, they didn't want to take chance again after they saw what happened. To the first legion, so they now came a mass. Know that Jesus Christ had referred to the physical desolation of Jerusalem and the temple, and not an abomination of spiritual defilement that makes desolate standing in the temple as interpreted by contemporary scholars. That was why he used the term in the holy place. In the holy place, he didn't say in the temple, but in the holy place to mean the whole of Jerusalem rather than specifying the holy of holies, which would be the temple. Because Jerusalem is regarded as the holy city. So it was this army that surrounded Jerusalem that Jesus was referring to. Are you getting it now? After the defeat of Gallius in Beth Oram, the Jews formed a Sarindin, transitional government over Judea under the spiritual guidance of Shimon ben Gamali in late 66. This included Ananus ben Ananus, who was the high priest of Jerusalem under Agrippa II and also Joseph ben Guron and under Joseph ben Gamia playing leading roles to reinforce Jerusalem. Now, Josephus, Matthias, rather than John of Gu, Ava, of Giscala, as the Romans called it, was appointed the commander for Galilee and Golan. While Joseph ben Shimon was appointed commander for Jericho, rather, Joan Eastern commanded Jaffa, and leader, then Amanus and also Amus and Nicopolis and the whole of uh, Tamar area, 
while Elizabeth Ananiah and Joshua Ben Sapphire were the joint commanders of, for Edom. Manasseh was appointed for Piriah and Johanna Ben Anaiah for Gophna and Akrebata. So these are the commanders of the various settlements of Jews in Promised Land as at this time. By AD 68, rebellion in the north had been crushed by Vespasian. And Gispala was the last town in Galilee to be conquered by Titus, the first son. So John of Gispala fled to Jerusalem just before Titus was uh, uh, Titus forces entered into Gispala. So the last and most significant fortified city still held by the Jewish rebels was not Jerusalem. That's the only place where the the, the rebellion was now uh, rife. All the other places have been subdued by the Romans. So when John arrived there, he managed to convince the youth in this Jerusalem against the authority that was already established by the by the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Are you getting it now? Because he, he wanted to supplant them. He wanted to become the, the leader. So what he did that he went to the to youth and to the youth he was able to convince them against those who are already appointed over the city. Meanwhile, other leaders, get this, you, you understand what I'm saying in a minute. Other leaders from the northern rebels who are also defeated also fled to Jerusalem too. One of them is Shaman Bar-Gorea, who had also been bypassed by the transitional government for a military command because of his popularity among peasants. So he gathered powerful people around him, influential people, they joined him. He, co he constructed a fort in the village called Naim, not far from Jerusalem. He stored food there and a lot of uh, booty there in the, in the caves. Then he began to attack and overrun Idumea. Idumea, that's Edom. He marched into Hebron. He plundered the countryside of Hebron in order to feed his vast army, which was now numbering about 40,000 people, not including his troops. So this uh, Shimon Bagora was becoming very influential outside of Jerusalem. Yeah. They didn't give him a military post, but when he lost, uh, where the to, uh, when 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 the rebels in the lot not lost, he now began to gather people around himself and was making himself strong outside of Jerusalem. So in order to curb his growing influence, the zealots remember that Jesus. I mean, when we are talk, when we are talking about P Peter and the disciple, they describe Peter as the zealot. So Z P P Peter actually belonged to this party before he met Jesus Christ. So the zealots, they laid an ambush on him. They captured his wife and some of her entourage. And they told him to lay down his weapons in exchange for the freedom of his wife. Instead, by AD 16, when he was already conscious that the advancing Roman army was fast approaching Jerusalem, Shimon grew very angry. He retreated towards Jerusalem and now laid siege on Jerusalem, cutting it off from Asada. So food cannot go in, people cannot go out. Now, how is all this related? This was in relation to the prophecies that Jesus Christ says. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by an army, then know that its desolation is nearby. Number one, 
one of their own, one of their own, Shimon Bergore laid siege on Jerusalem. Secondly, the Roman army is fast approaching towards Jerusalem. Are you getting all this now? These are historical facts. Now, the Roman Jewish historian, Josephus, in his own book, The War of the Jews, clearly detailed that at this period, get this, this is another prophecy that just got being fulfilled. There were at least four prominent Jewish rebel leaders claiming that they were the foretold Messiah of the Jews. Remember, Jesus Christ had already warned that when he's going to when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, there will be what? False messiahs who will arise in Jerusalem. So that prophecy was actually literally fulfilled in history. As at this point in time in history, four prominent Jewish leaders were claiming that they were the foretold messiahs in order to be able to gain the trust of the people and also to, to convince them that they should not worry. Jerusalem can never ever be destroyed. No army in the world can destroy it. That they were secured in God because they are the Messiah. So this was what they used to convince the people. And rather than surrender to the Romans, they resisted. You will still see what happened. Now, these four Messiahs were Elysia ben Shimon, who led the Zealots. This was the leader of the Zealots, Elysia ben Shimon. He wanted to rid Judea of Roman rule. He hated the Romans and doesn't want Roman, Roman rule to be there. So he was not happy that the uh, Sanhedrin in charge of Jerusalem were negotiating with Rome. He didn't like it. Now, another person was Mahemin ben Judah, who led this Kalari. Now, this Kalari is a splinter group from the Zealots. So it's like a group split into two. So this is an offshoot of the zealot, but they call themselves the Sicarili. Then there is that John of Giscala that I told you about, who, led, who ran into Jerusalem and then led the youth, trying to gain influence over the youth. There is John, and then there is now this Shimon Bagorel who led the Indomians and are now encamped around Jerusalem. So these four people were claiming that they were the Messiah. Okay. Now, because the Zealots, the Zealots, they were cuttered in the temple at this time. They were cuttered in the Zealots were actually living in the temple at this time. So they themselves, the Jews themselves, began to desecrate their temple by themselves because ordinary people are not supposed to enter into that place anyhow. But the zealots entered it and took part of the temple. So they were cuttered within the temple and they were confiscating the temple task. So Ananus ben Ananus, who was the uh, SY high priest, he didn't like this. So he began to incite the people to rise up against the zealots. And meanwhile, because the zealots and the Sicalari are almost the same, the two of them were now executing Jews. Any Jews that said that they want to leave or were saying that, look, don't let us fight. Let us negotiate with the Romans. They were executing and killing them. So Ananus forces was able to hold the outer court of the temples. Thereby, they drove the zealots into the inner court. Now, the zealots were not priests. They were just ordinary Jews. But because they drove them into the inner community that they had possession of the Holy of Holies, they desecrated the Holy of Holies themselves. This is 
60 years after Jesus has died. Are you getting this? To complete the final fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that that temple will no longer function as a place of worship. You need to understand this so that you can understand why the temple that Paul is speaking about is not the temple built by human hands, but it's talking about our body. All right? So the the, the Ananus and his forces occupy the altar court while the zealot and the sicari occupy the inner court. And uh, this led to desecration of the temple and the siege. Uh, we will continue from this place in the next audio by the special grace of God. Uh, the entrance of the Lord, of the word of God, give that light. I trust that light has been shed into your heart by what you have had today. I pray that you will abound in the knowledge of Christ and that you become matured and we will all be able to grow into unity, I mean unity of faith into maturity into Christ, the image of Christ in the mighty blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Feel free to contact me on any of my addresses that accompany this audio. Uh, you can also follow me on my YouTube channel and uh, I'm on Facebook as well. And uh, full details of this uh, teaching are in my books that I've written and published online. You can check them in Amazonbook.com, which have an ebook version, paperback version, and also uh, hardcover version. And then you can check them also on Recruiting Kobo, which has ebook version, and also OkadaBook.com, which has uh, ebook version as well. Uh, the Lord bless you as you do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. So be ready to prepare. Amen. Shalom. Maranatha. God loves you, so do I. Great. Love.